0: If you've been uh, worshiping with us throughout the summer, uh, these pages in your Bible might be getting worn a little bit as we've been walking slowly through uh, what is the longest kind of unbroken teaching that we have of Jesus in Scripture, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. As we've been reading and studying this together, uh, we've been listening for how Jesus offers us instructions for a fulfilled life. Fulfilled meaning a life that's filled with his hope his peace and with his joy. Prior to this passage, uh, Jesus has been telling us not to do things in front of people just so that we can be seen by them, right? He says... Don't give your alms in front of people. Don't go just pray in front of people. Don't fast in front of people just so that people can look at you and be like, wow, what what a great person he is. What a great person she is. You're just so great. Instead, Jesus says to give, to pray, to fast in secret so that God who sees in secret will reward you. And this passage here kind of flows from that and kind of speaks to the heart that is behind that. And so we're reading here Matthew chapter 6. Beginning in verse 19, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consume, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. May thanks be to God. Now, if you were alive in the 80s and early 90s, and I, and I think most of you were, um, you probably were familiar with this phrase uh, champagne wishes and caviar dreams. It was the signature catchphrase of Robin Leach for Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. The show ran for 10 years, over 10 years actually. That kind of shocked me to see that it was on for that long. Uh, But it would take an inside look at the lives of the wealthy, of entertainers, celebrities, athletes, socialites. Uh, You might take a tour of their house, go out on their yacht or take some trip or vacation along with them to some lavish resort somewhere that you could only uh, never imagine to get to. Uh, For those who are a little bit younger, you might recall a similar show, uh, those probably my age and younger, uh, on MTV. Uh, It was a show called Cribs. uh, And In this show, you would again take a tour of some rich entertainer's house. You would see the the cars that they drive, uh, perhaps take a look in their closet and see all their different clothes and shoes, uh, which is always exciting, All, all the other things that they had, the big screen TVs and movie theaters and whatever else they had. Now, I'm not sure how these shows became staples of American television, uh, really American culture, but but millions of people would tune in every week to just take a look at how lavish a person could live. Now, aside from the, just the, the fascination that this might have sparked, I think that these shows dug into the psyche of the American dream and, and perhaps a little bit of a sinister yet subtle way as they kind of took you know whatever that American dream might be and began to distort our ideas of what truly makes a good or worthwhile life maybe it was stuff that was already in our hearts anyways and it just exposed it for what it is and and now maybe you could watch these shows and and take a look at it and, and see it for a while and say oh well you know that's that's nice for them but I think more, more oftentimes than not, uh, these shows cultivated in people's heart a sense of envy. Uh, it pushed against our notions of contentment. They offered a challenge to what most of us might consider a good life. And while they never explicitly said, you know, hey, you need all of these things in order to be happy— I mean, they always made the people who were in those shows look pretty happy. I mean, I never saw somebody on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous sitting there crying, you know, as they were in their, you know, 10th bedroom or whatever. I I never saw somebody on Cribs crying in front of their their movie theater home. They always made them and their things look so happy and a feeling. Uh, Most of us probably said somewhere along the line, right, like, I'll never have that. But it's difficult to have uh, these images of material possessions just flood our minds, whether it's uh, through some show we watch, through uh, social media that we turn to, through uh, the magazines that we read, even, even the simple ones, you know, the hardware style kind of magazines that we might see in our area. It's hard not to have these images of material possessions flood our minds and not have some sense of those people are living better than me the bible calls that thing that is within us enviness it calls it covetousness envy uh, is the desire not only for somebody else's goods their possessions but it's the desire for others traits statuses abilities or situations right it's not just wealth and possessions a person could be envious of another person's gifts or abilities you know I've I've always wanted to be able to sing well. I mean, I, I sing, but not well. I, I sing well in my shower, right? But not, not in public. I've always wanted to be able to. And so a temptation for me at times is to, to hear, you know, David sing or to play. And, and rather than celebrate the gift, my temptation is to say, man, I wish I could play or I wish I could sing like that. And it becomes almost like this place of discontent in my soul. A person could be envious of another person's success. Perhaps you have a coworker who receives some sort of praise or kudos from the boss. You know, a job well done. And, And rather than celebrate with them, you begin to think of all the things that you've done. You know, well, what about this, 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 and this? I wonder why the boss didn't say anything to me about that. I should be getting recognized for that. And that thought, unchecked, can be the seed of discontent in a person's life. Another person might be envious of somebody else's, you know, life situation. Uh, social media seems to have made this a, a bigger deal than ever because all we see if you are on Facebook or whatever other kinds of sites there are are, are the good things that another person experiences, the, the fun times, the trips, the smiles, the laughs, and you say, you know what, I wish I, wish I had their life. I wish I had those opportunities. I wish I had uh, that thing taking place within my life. Perhaps, you know, you've got a a struggle, uh, a health issue that you're going through, and you know somebody else who's the same age, and they seem to be just fine. You know, like, you know what, I've done all of these healthy things, and I've got this problem, and and I know they haven't done a single thing that's healthy, and and how are they doing better health-wise than I am? Maybe you've had some kind of rocky relationship and you see another person who has the, you know, the perfect spouse or the perfect children, the perfect family. And it just eats at you a bit like, I wish I had what they have. Not to, not to dig at romance novels or hallmark movies too much. Uh, I don't want anybody throwing bricks at me this morning, but, but maybe we read those or we watch those stories and we say, why can't I have a love like that? why can't somebody move into my hometown and sweep me off of my feet or, or whatever else it might be? Maybe maybe you're like me and you're sitting on your back porch and you're watching your pepper plants die. Uh, and, and then you walk down the street and your neighbor's got this mango tree with just so many mangoes falling off that they're rotting on the ground. And it's like, why can't I have a green thumb you know, like that? Now, I mean, I could go on, right? There's so many different ways that we could explore this. But, but all of these things, they, they tempt us to become discontent in our life. Envy has a way of just kind of eating away at us slowly over time, breeding that discontent, which can lead to bitterness, which can lead even to anger, dislike, or hatred for others. You know, St. Thomas Aquinas talked about different stages of envy, and, and the one stage that I thought was pretty interesting, he says, there's a stage of envy where where we find joy at another's misfortune. I thought, wow, does that not speak to kind of our, our culture these days? Uh, somebody seems to have things together. They experience some sort of misfortune. And there's always a group of people that are there ready to rejoice that something negative or bad that happens to another person. And these, uh, the effects of envy uh, or our own discontent over time, it not only does damage to our soul, it damages our relationship with others. It causes us to have some sort of uh, distance between us and the people around us. But perhaps a worse effect might be the way that discontentment can damage our relationship with God. The, The way that our discontentment can cause us to question God's goodness. In particular, God's goodness towards us. Right? If if that person has those material possessions, that person has those gifts, that person has that good health or that good marriage or that perfect family or whatever else it is, and you say, Why didn't God give me that? We start questioning, has God really been good? Right, there's a great danger here. Not only does our envy breed discontentment, robbing us of peace and joy in the present, but I wonder if our temptation to question God's goodness might not also rob us of our ability to really put our faith, to really put our hope, to really put our trust in God. And perhaps our questioning God's goodness weakens our ability to really trust the promise that God is good and that God is working for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. Just a point of speculation, but I wonder if our questioning God's goodness might be, you know, the the spiritual block, the spiritual gate that truly prevents us from seeing the, the great things that God wants to do within our lives, within our church, within our community, within our world. I wonder if it's what truly prevents us from seeing the miraculous. In, in John fourteen twelve and 14, Jesus says, "'Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me "'will also do the works that I do, "'and in fact will do greater works than these, "'because I'm going to the Father. "'I will do whatever you ask in my name.'" So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. And so Jesus kind of says, if you believe in me, you will do even greater works than what we saw in his ministry. And yet we see an American church that at times is so lifeless, that at times seems powerless, that in many places has little of the miraculous, seems to be doing so little that actually changes lives. And I wonder if in part it's because we're too busy comparing our earthly treasures that will soon fade away. We're not spending enough energy investing in those treasures that exist in the heavenly realm. Jesus says the, the one who believes in him will do even greater things, that Jesus will do whatever is asked in his name. And it's not so that we can have whatever our neighbor has. It's not so that we can find contentment in the treasures of this world that we think somebody else has. It's not so that we can even find some evidence of God's goodness because we're not sure yet if God is good and God has to prove himself. Rather, Jesus says, I will do even greater works. Whatever you ask in my name will be done so that the Father might be glorified and the Son. Do you treasure... God being glorified. When you think about it, when you hear it, do you you treasure that? Does that resonate within your spirit? Does that move you? Does it motivate you? Does reflecting on God's goodness bring joy to your heart? Or have the seeds of envy and discontent caused your focus to be on you? Let me ask, let me ask this. Has God been good to you? If God's been good to you, let me hear you say, Amen. amen. If God's been good to you, let me hear you say, hallelujah. hallelujah. If God has been good to you, let me hear you say, Glory to God. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. I really miss Jack and Eric all this morning. They should have been here. This was his chance. This was Jack's chance. Can I say, Amen? Yes, yes you can, Eric. Yes, you can. But... But as we, as we proclaim, you know, God's goodness, as we, as we give thanks, as we give praise to God, as we give God honor and glory, I I feel, I sense that faith rises Uh, within our lives, within our hearts. Our faith grows as we recognize what God has done, the good that's taken place, and we give thanks to Him for it. it. It builds the kind of faith that God says can move mountains focusing on God's goodness to you builds your faith. It, it moves us out of stagnation. It helps to move us out of discontentment. It moves us out of an envious spirit, and it, and it leads us into the place where we know and experience God's hope and joy. And I don't want to oversimplify things here, but Jesus says, you know, what you treasure reveals what's in your heart. If we want to change what's in our heart, then a part of that means that we begin to treasure what God treasures. And a big part of that means that we, we change the things that we focus on, right? Rather than looking at and focusing on this person or that person or what they have or, or what I don't have or wish I had. Instead, I begin to focus on God's goodness, what God has already done for me. I mean, if God has been good to you, could you name it? Could you, could you describe it? Could you make a list of the ways in which God has been good to you? Would you be able to tell somebody else about it? So I'm going I'm to give you some homework this week. Um, school's back in session. We all got homework, right? Uh, I want you to write down. Somewhere, something that God has done for you, to write it down. What is, what is something good that God has done for you? And then I want you to post it on the mirror in your bathroom, right? Or maybe there's somewhere else that you go frequently, to post it there. And then whenever you see it, to, to read it each day and say, you know, glory to God. Say, Thank you, God. right? To read it, to see it, to let it seep into your heart, and then to give God thanks for it. A simple exercise, sure, but listen to what Jesus says in our our passage in verse 22 and 23. He says that the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So as he's talking about our eyes, he's talking about having a good eye or a bad eye, an eye that leads to to health, to hope, to joy, to peace, or a, a bad eye, an eye that leads us to a heart that's filled with bitterness and uh, discontent. And now, I've always been a bit of a baseball fan, and in baseball, having a good eye means that you could recognize the pitch that's being thrown and and you're looking for that good pitch. And so you swing and you hit the good pitch and you let the bad pitches go by, right? You only swing at the, the hittable strikes. If you don't have a good eye, if you can't see the the good that's coming towards you or, and, and the bad and let it go by and pass away, it doesn't matter how fast you run, how well you field or throw. Eventually, if you don't have a good eye, you're out, right? You, you stop making the team. They, they stop playing you. In life, having that good eye means that our hearts, that our lives, that our eyes are focused on the right things, or or better yet, focused on the right one. Rather than letting our eyes wander to covet things that don't bring true happiness Having a good eye means that I'm not swinging it at those pitches that Satan's throwing my way. I'm not I'm not reaching for and trying to hit that temptation uh, to be envious or to covet or whatever else that might be going on around me. Rather, my, my eye is focused on the good things that God is bringing my way, and I'm ready to knock it out of the park with thanksgiving and praise. See, the best hitters in baseball have trained their eyes to see the right things. They spent years and years in batting cages, not only working on their swing, but, but the good ones work on their eyes so they see what's coming, right? The best hitters, they can tell you when the pitch is coming out of the pitcher's hand if it's a fastball, a curveball, a slider, or whatever else might be thrown. Uh, if I was playing baseball, I probably wouldn't be able to tell you if it's a baseball or a softball or a beach ball that's coming at me, right? I... I I haven't trained myself to see it and to recognize it. The practice of writing down God's goodness, putting it up on your mirror, of reading it, uh, of giving God thanks for it, of saying glory to God, it's, it's kind of like hopping in the batting cage. Right? It's, it's training you to see and to recognize, oh, God's been good to me. Thank you, God, for it it's the training of our hearts, of our eyes, so that they are seeing the good things. So they're seeing the ways that God has already been at work in our lives. It's the training to focus your eyes on good, God's goodness so that our, our hearts begin to follow suit. When your life is focused on God's goodness, when when your life is focused on God's grace, when you've Torn down, that spiritual dam of envy and discontent that keeps God's river of life and joy from flowing in your life by recognizing that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. You know, the, you, you give thanks to God for it, right? You, you begin to tear down that, that wall that's preventing you from having his life, his joy, his peace within your heart by giving thanks to God. And as you do, this, this deep well of grace and joy and peace and hope and faith and love builds up within you and begins to overflow into all the other parts of your life. The byproduct of this, of of keeping our eyes focused on God's goodness, of how God has already been good to me, uh, of giving him the thanks and the glory for it, is that you're not going to be focused on earthly treasures If I'm focused on God, my eyes aren't focused on these other things. And so uh, I'm not going to be building up, worrying about these treasures on earth. I'm just naturally storing up treasures in heaven by reflecting on God's goodness and allowing that to overflow within my life. Now the opposite of envy, uh, the the virtue that corresponds with the vice is charity. uh, Christian love towards others. But the opposite of the person who stores up treasures on earth is the person who gives freely, who gives begrudgingly, uh, not, uh, not, who doesn't give begrudgingly, who doesn't give out of compulsion, but gives freely. Not, not giving because they have to, but giving with a cheerful heart because they've so uh, spent time reflecting on how God's been good to them. In, in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7 and 8, we read, it says, "'Each of you must give as you have made up your mind.'" not regretfully or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And, and I'm going to pause here. See, when I was growing up, I always heard this verse whenever it was like offering time, <laughs> right? they like, say, God loves a cheerful giver, now pass the plates. And, and maybe there's some part of it that's true, that's okay, but I think it extends beyond that. I think we, we limit that. Um, sure, give God what is God's, but Also, live a generous life in relation to others. When I'm focusing on God's goodness in my own life, I'm I'm free to live generously with the people around me, not just with my possessions, but I'm free to live generously with my time, with my talents, with my abilities. I'm freed up to, to focus on others because I'm not focused on myself. And so it says, each of you must give as you've made up your mind, not regretfully or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able... God is able to provide you with every blessing and abundance so that by always having enough of everything you may share abundantly in every good work so that cheerfulness of heart it's built up over time by giving thanks to God the one who provides in abundance the one who enables us to share abundantly in every good work the one who provides the treasure that we store up in heaven not because we've done anything good, not because we've somehow earned it, but because God is good, because he truly does love and care for us, because he makes sure that we have enough. And our gratitude, our giving thanks to God, our giving glory to God, our writing it down and remembering God's goodness, it changes the way that we see the world. It begins to change our lives so that we can live our lives freely given for the sake of others and for God's glory. It enables us to share in word and in action just how good our God is. As we reflect on that, we find that peace, that contentment, that, that hope, that joy that only God can give. Let me pray for you. Gracious God, we do thank you that you are good, that you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. We thank you for all the ways that you've been good to us, for all the ways that you've blessed us. For the times that you've watched over us, for the times that you've saved us even when we were not aware. We thank you for the giving of your son, Jesus Christ, and what his life, what his death, what his resurrection means for us, that we have hope of eternal life in you. Lord, we pray that we might live a life that is filled with gratitude, that as we focus on your goodness, as we let go of the things around us, we pray that that your grace and your joy might, might overflow from us, might it make a difference in the lives of those around us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.